All right. <clears throat> well, I hope uh, I hope you can see me okay. Um, Tosh, if you wouldn't mind maybe uh, turning the um, the lights down just a tick. Um, maybe that um, the the one that says um, on the lighting board that says front. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, so hopefully that, yeah, that way I can still see you. So it's, uh, it's Easter and, um, and we're together, uh, even though we're apart in some way. And, um, as I've been saying, I recognize that we're being physically distant, but we're still very much together. Thank God for um, the technology that allows us to do this and to um, to be together in the way that we are. I do hope that you are well. I hope you are safe and that um, whatever uh, means necessary that you are taking in order to maintain that um, that health, uh, following recommendations of those who are trying to keep us well. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at, um, we're going to pause our, um, our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be looking today um, at a message from Easter. Um, I felt like that for us, it would be beneficial to look at the resurrection and um, what this might mean for us. Um, I'm so grateful, and I need to say thank you um, to Garrett um, Nichols, who uh, shared with me the responsibility of um, bringing various words, um, meditating through Holy Week. He did just an incredible job. I, I can't possibly um, say thank you enough and how much... Um, it helped me and how much I enjoyed it, how much it ministered to my soul, and I'm sure it did yours as well. Um, but uh, I, I want to today, if we can, make the, the ridiculous leap, <laughs> the leap from total despair, total loss, total um, destruction, to resurrection. And I, I want to say this um, as, as cautiously as I can. I do understand that for many of us, at this moment, it might feel easier to, um, to relate to Holy Week. It might feel easier in some ways to relate to the difficulty, the pain, um, the frustration that comes with Lent and Holy Week than Easter. In fact, some of you might just not feel like celebrating. And, and I want to give some, some space for that while also recognizing that, um, that we're invited into this process and this cycle, and it is a gift for us. So... Um, I don't, once again, want to be insensitive in any way, and, and um, I pray that I'm not, if, if, it, uh, if anything I says feels that way, please forgive me. 
um, and uh, forgive my inability to communicate this in a way that touches everybody in the way you need to be touched. And I just pray the Holy Spirit would do that, um, that thing that I can't do. So for the Christian tradition, Easter is the great feast. In fact, according to the church fathers and mothers, the beauty of this feast is already found in Christmas. Because if God can enter the human condition, become flesh, and take on the material world, then resurrection is the natural conclusion. Nothing divine can die. And without getting too far into the theology of it, the part that makes, one of the parts that makes this so beautiful is that God enters the human condition to restore and heal the entire human condition. So for so many, for so many, um, the only point of Jesus' life was his death. For so many, it felt like, well, Jesus' life did not bear much meaning. But thank God for Jesus' death because the blood of Jesus cleanses us and, and restores us. And, and I would just like to suggest to you that we need both. We need the, the idea of, of what um, Irenaeus says is Jesus assuming the human condition so that the human condition can be healed, so that God can demonstrate God's solidarity with our entire condition. Jesus weeping to show us that God weeps. Jesus grieving to show us that God grieves. And Jesus then in the divine, because the divine cannot die, going into death and blowing it up from the inside. You see, resurrection is the natural conclusion of what we find at Christmas, which is the incarnation, the theosis, um, the, the um, at-one-ment where God comes into the flesh. That embodiment, the natural result of that is always going to be resurrection. For many of us, we've been told the message of Easter is, Yay, Jesus. You did it. You rose from the grave. And we celebrate something that Jesus did. We gather together to cheer Jesus on and celebrate what Jesus was able to do in being raised. However, the real message is, according to Paul, we've all been raised with Christ. So today, we don't just celebrate Jesus' resurrection, we celebrate ours. We celebrate the resurrection of all things. If you remember, all of the iconography of the early church was showing Christ bringing all of humanity with him out of the grave. You still find this within the theology and understanding today of the Eastern Orthodox Church. If you'll indulge me just for a moment, I have one I'm going to just share with you just to give you an example. So in this picture that I hope you can see, if not, just pretend there's a picture, um, you'll see Jesus, and this is how the early church depicted the resurrection. Notice that around Jesus um, is the disciples, John the Baptist, they always depicted several um, key figures but Jesus is pulling up out of the grave. That's symbolic of Adam and Eve or all of humanity. 
And, and you'll notice even casket-like boxes that they're coming out of. Why? Because according to Paul, if in Adam all died, in Christ all were raised. You can't see the entire picture, but beneath where Jesus is standing, that represents the grave. And specifically, you'll notice in many of the pictures, there's what looks like an old man who is bound up with chains laying in that, and that represents death. It represents, it's metaphoric of that death has been bound, the keys have been taken to death and hell, and that all have been raised. Wow. As it stands, we have been given the end of the story. If we were to think that these wars and plagues and world hunger and pain and murder had the end of the story, if we thought those were the end of the story, who among us would not become cynical? The world is a cold, hard place in many ways. And if that's all it is, then my goodness, why not become cynical? Which maybe is what created or gave us the idea that we had to, to make everything out there somewhere. That, that heaven became this, uh, this thing that existed elsewhere rather than Jesus saying heaven, the kingdom of heaven is here. And he specifically said it's inside of you, coming out of you if you'll let it. Wow. He's inviting us into that reality now in a way that we can't fully comprehend without applying what resurrection means. So Jesus, rather, the resurrection of Jesus is the final chapter, uh, excuse me, isn't the final chapter of Jesus' life, but the final chapter of all of creation. Jesus' resurrection was the destruction of death. Think for a moment about this switch. Rather than in the end, the fear of death and the punishment of hell, Jesus has destroyed death from the inside and pulled creation, all of creation, out of hell. This is a radically different and more hopeful message. Friends, the risen Christ is the standing icon of humanity in its full and final destiny. He is the pledge and guarantee of what God will do with all crucifixions, all of our crucifixions. God will cause resurrection to be the result. At last, we can meaningfully live with hope. It is no longer an absurd or tragic universe. Our hurts now become the home for our greatest hopes. I'll say that again. Our hurts now become the home for our greatest hopes. Without such an implanted hope, it's very hard to not become cynical, bitter, and tired by pain that is part of our lives. I can think of no season in my lifetime where across the world people are suffering so tragically, seemingly meaninglessly, then right now, and what that tells us is that there is a great home for hope and resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 1 through 23 is our text for today. And John 20, 1 through 23, and I, by the way, thank you, Tosh, for reading that passage. That's Jeremiah 31 was our 
Old Testament passage from the lectionary this morning, and my goodness, what good stuff. Good, good stuff. John chapter 20, verse 1, from the NRSV translation, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following and went into the tomb. Notice the difference there that John is telling us between him, the other disciple likely, and Peter. That John is standing outside the tomb and he sees it. Peter in his brash nature does what? Runs in. He's not waiting around. He's going in. I want to check this out. So he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must be risen from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Notice that. They went back home. In some ways, they're asking a very realistic question. What now? So we've seen Jesus die. All has been lost. Yesterday, Garrett so wonderfully depicted that and, and, and laid out for us the tension of that. All is lost. And now Jesus is raised or the, the body is gone. We don't know, but either way, we don't know what to do. So we're just going to go back home. And I'm not faulting them for that. I think that's exactly what you should do. When you don't know what to do, just do what you can do. <laughs> and so Jesus, then in the rest of this story, appears to Mary. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And her eyes were opened, and she said, Rabboni, which just means my great teacher. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, because I've not yet ascended to the fathers, but Father, excuse me, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, Our Lord has risen. I have seen our Lord. And she told them what she had seen. And they didn't believe her. Now, a few things to point out um, that aren't central to the message we're looking at this morning. Number one, notice that the boys, the men, the apostles, after seeing the empty tomb, they go back home. Mary says, I'm not leaving until I figure out where Jesus is. Think about what that means. It's no wonder she was considered one of the great apostles. 
And then she is sent. In fact, she is called by the early church. Mary Magdalene is the apostle to the apostles because Jesus sends her to go give the message that he's been raised. Whoa. And they don't believe her. So Jesus appears, and when Jesus appears, he says, peace be unto you. And he showed them his hands and his side, which tells us that he still bore the wounds. Peace be unto you, he said again. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, and he breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. The message here is simple, friends. It's going to be all right in the end, and if it's not all right... It's not the end yet. You see, the message of God is not apocalypse now. It's not Armageddon or rapture and war of the late great planet Earth, but rather an end full of healing and restoration. It's no accident Luke's resurrection account in the gospel has Jesus saying, I am not a ghost. I have flesh and bones. Whoa. The resurrected Jesus saying, To Thomas, he says in John 20, we just read it. Put your hands in my side. Touch me in this way because I have been resurrected. Maybe part of being human is being wounded and resurrected at the same time. Maybe part of what this is telling us, the story that John is laying out, is that Rather than our wounds and our pain and our difficulty being signs of our failing and falling, maybe those are signs that we bear with us in the tension of resurrection. Because our perfection, as Thomas Merton said, is actually found in learning to hold our imperfection. You see, what we find in this human condition, Christ returns in his physical body, and yet somehow he's not limited to space and time and is without any regret or recrimination while still in some ironic way, in some strange way, carrying his wounds. Can you imagine when he walked into the, the room, the first thing he would have said if it was me is, what are you doing? You did this to me. Why did you leave me? Peter told you so. Something. But Jesus walks in and just says, peace. He doesn't doesn't play the victim card, and he doesn't victimize anybody else. He doesn't condemn anyone for the wounds. He doesn't come back um, with a vengeance to get the guys who done it but rather he carries with him the wounds. You see, what is so unique about this is we think that healing means that we will no longer have the scars that represented our pain. And what I think Henry Nouwen so wonderfully said is that we become wounded healers. And like Jesus, we carry with us those marks. That's the beauty of resurrection. We're not resurrected in an absence of the previous suffering. We're resurrected bearing the marks of what we've been through. Bearing the marks of our imperfections, if I can even use that word. And so Jesus, 
comes in and Jesus is carrying the wounds. Julian of Norwich, wonderfully, who I've been reading a lot lately, wonderfully said, before God, our wounds are our glory. That Jesus' physical wounds did not disappear is telling. The mystical, counterintuitive message of death and resurrection is powerfully communicated through this symbol. The major point is that Jesus has not left the human sphere. He's revealing the goal, the fullness, and the purpose of humanity itself, which is that we are able to share in the divine nature. That's what Second Peter says. Even in this wounded and wounding world, Yes, resurrection is saying something about Jesus, but it's also saying something about us, which is even harder for us to believe. It is saying that somehow we were created in the perfect image and likeness of the divine and called good by being itself, and therefore made for something good, united and beautiful. Resurrection is another word that communicates this hope, mercy, grace, and change. Resurrection is a word for the metamorphosis where we transition, bringing with us what we have learned. We become the wounded healers. And what I think for myself it might seem is that the beauty of resurrection happens when we're able to bring with us the scars of our pain but embrace mercy and grace in such a way we do not want to transmit or inflict pain upon others as a result of our pain. That's probably what resurrection is. It's not an absence of our scars. It's not an absence of our wounds. It's the fact that we are willing to hold our wounds and not want to wound that we don't want to react and retaliate. That's what resurrection looks like. Jesus didn't come back with a vendetta or a vengeance. Jesus wouldn't, if, if the movie of Jesus coming back uh, was made today in this way, it probably wouldn't sell very well. We want Die Hard. We want Terminator. We want Dirty Harry. We want somebody that's coming back to let everybody have it. It's like every Clint Eastwood movie ever. And yet, Jesus comes back. And the first thing he says is, peace. Because once you have embraced that forgiveness, which if you were to ask me what I think the gospel message is, is learning how to embrace the grace and mercy of God and then release that to others. That's the gospel. Jesus says to them, peace, because it's internal. God could not then wait to show us. I, I feel like it's been within the universe all along, within uh, um, uh, the, the, the earth itself, nature itself, life itself, that this change thing is happening. Modern science tells us that nothing is the same forever. In fact, 98% of our body's atoms are replaced every single year. 
Geologists with good evidence over millennia can prove that no landscape is permanent. Water, fog, steam, and ice are all the same thing, yet at different stages and temperatures. Resurrection becomes another word for change, but particularly positive change, which we tend to see only in the long run. In the short run, change often looks like death. God couldn't wait for science to give us this reality. So Christ was raised with him and with him all things. It was built in all around us. Somehow this planted the hope and possibility of resurrection deep in our being. We know that change leads us to resurrection. We know that we're being pulled forward in the gravity of God's great love. Jesus' incarnate life, his passing over into death, and his resurrection into the ongoing Christ life is the map for everything. This is the journey. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was like us in every way, experiencing every temptation, and he never backtracked. This is a God we can trust. This is a God that will walk through our pain with us. This is a God that will be with me even when I choose the hell of rejecting the way of love. As the psalmist says, even if I make my bed in hell, you are with me. And why is Christ there with me in my hell? Because Christ has consumed even my hell, even my pain, even my suffering, and yes, even my death in Christ. Friends, this is a God we can trust. So we're going to transition into communion. And I hope that in some way, this, this invitation feels like a, a healthy space for you to embrace the Lord's table. And we will um, we'll give you just a moment. If you're with someone today, we would invite you uh, to partake of that with them. Um, if you are... Um, just joining us by yourself, we'll be partaking of that together and invite you into that exchange. But today, what I feel like we should offer is that all are raised. I am raised in Christ. And maybe what we should ask is just simply, God, help me to trust. And what I think we should do is, uh, this will be twofold. So we're going to take the bread and, and I'm going to serve this to Tosh. And I'm going to invite her to ask God help me to trust 
And then as I give her the cup, I'm going to say, this is a God you can trust. God, help me to trust. This is a God you can trust. And if you're taking by yourself, I would invite you to take with us, God, help me to trust. forget that uh, I forget that that's real wine kind of gets you in the back of the throat a little bit at, at 1050 in the morning well friends we love you so much and we want you to know that we're here we're with you if there's anything that you need if there's anything that uh, we can do for you even if that's just a specific point of prayer please let us know and um know that you are loved and for most of us today is going to be very different so I wanted to take just a second to say you can lament that we're not here together physically a lot of you won't be able to have Easter lunch or brunch or dinner with your family that's hard it's tough you can lament that you can be in grief that that's not happening but here's what I would say, feel your feelings. We need to do that more, especially as Americans. But be encouraged and embrace what is. That's this message that God is a God you can trust. We're counting on God and God is showing up. <laughs> so embrace that, hold on to that. Let God's steady arms keep you steady. A lot of people feel like they're sinking right now. But let God hold you. Lean into God. And be encouraged that weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. All right. We love you. We pray you have a wonderful Easter and that you embrace that. Um, it may feel like crucifixion. It may feel like death. But it's a home for hope. Amen.